do you love the freedom of being able to play any sort of character in any sort of world in TTRPGs? And that's the part that you love most, especially stories that are incredibly character-driven where they are the focus. You'll probably love the game that we are talking about today on the RPG Goblin, which is Fate Core. Now, this system is referred to as a generic system because it doesn't have a base setting to it. You can literally play any kind of story that you so desire in this system, whether it be superheroes or space pirates or Victorian era era drama. It can literally run anything as long as it focuses on the characters and who they are versus what they can do. It's such an amazing game, and if you love super heavy character and story-driven games, it's the perfect system for you. Um, in this episode, I brought on Curtis to be my guest, uh, who you may recognize from the Ten Candles episode, and we just had a blast. So, let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to uh, this episode of the RPG Goblin. I'm your host, Willow, and yeah, today we are going to be talking about Fate Core, which I'm very, very excited about, and I'm even more excited because I'm bringing on Curtis today as a guest, and you would know who Curtis is if you have listened to the Ten Candles episode, which is, by the way, fantastic. Uh, but before we get started into the actual game, I would love uh, if, Curtis, if you could introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Curtis. I am uh, executive producer over, producer over at 5% Chance. Um, we are a basically an RPG production group. We bring on folks with different games, different stories, and um, help share stories with folks that don't necessarily have a lot of the technical acumen. We help produce things and get stuff up on Twitch. Most of our stuff is up on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash 5% chance. We also have a whole YouTube backlog of actual plays. Um, we were trying to branch out into fun different systems, and as a systems junkie, uh, <laughs> really enjoyed coming on and talking about 10 Candles for probably longer than I needed to. Uh, so I have notes this time. This one will be hopefully shorter than two hours and 42 minutes like the last one was. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. So um, Fate Core. Yes. Um, this is a very interesting system as it's, I think, our uh, other than the Fate Accelerated episode that will be coming out before this, it is the first big generic system that we're mm -hmm. actually talking about on this podcast. And if you would like to explain what a generic system means in the TTRPG community, I would 100%. love for you to do that. Yeah. So, so, uh, generic system, uh, setting agnostic, um, there are a lot of different ways to phrase it, but basically it's, here's a rule set. Here is a, here are the pillars of how this game functions and you can put any kind of set dressing you want to put on those. Um, so it's like, you're not necessarily locked into a swords and horses fantasy. You can go, um, you're not locked into cyberpunk. Um, and hopping on my soapbox for like 90 seconds. This is a lot of folks try to take D and D because it's the system they know and adapt it into cyberpunk, into star Wars, into something, you know, tr trying to make the rules work because they know the system. Fate is mm -hmm. a system that goes, we don't care what you do because the rules are strong enough where they matter, but they're flexible enough that you can tweak things on the fly. And it is very, it's a very forgiving system because the rules are fairly stripped back and simple. 
Um, and like you talked about with Fate Accelerated, they've even found ways, um, Evil Hat, the publishers of this, have found a way to make it even simpler. And, and it's so insane. There's, there's, it's ex- there's accelerated, there's condensed, and then the, the core system is like their biggest, chunkiest book. Um, but it has all the, all the rules you can kind of think of. And it's also, I love setting agnostic games and like generic systems because mm-hmm. it teaches, like parts of the game it's not like hey here's the history of elves in Faerun or here's <laughs> you know welcome to the federate welcome to star trek here's the history of the federation it's mm-hmm. less about the mechanics it's less about the you know pages and pages of backstory and lore on this in this universe it goes hey you want to build your own universe here are the questions you need to answer um and they have done a phenomenal job of building toolkits for mm-hmm. um for different sorts of things, which we can get to a little later on in this, because I don't want to, I don't want to lose the thread. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, you make a good point because uh, generic systems basically just open up the world for you to create the story. There is nothing preset, nothing preset. It is whatever story you and your players are wanting to play. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a good segue into in the fate core system, uh, the story, the biggest, most important part is the collaborative world building and character creation, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It it has one of the most uh yeah, it's it's very cooperative. And mm-hmm. as far as what I've really gotten into, Monster of the Week has similar things with that, where it's like mm-hmm. when you are building the story, um something I always run into in my games is someone is like, Oh, I'm new to the group, I'm a stranger. Um, and it's really hard to get a stranger to engage in the world that you're making or like why, you know, two players are best friends and one's just this random third person to bring along. How do you mm-hmm. make sure everybody gets involved and stays involved? Yes. Um, and the character creation and all of that is so baked into getting into the – not even worrying about like what are my stats? What am I good at? What am I bad at? It is – Building purely from like the bo- building this character from idea to uh, to character from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Just how do you you start so simply with really your um? There's two there's two core po- components to your character. There is your high concept, and there is your I believe it's trouble. Is that what they call it? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Your high concept and your trouble. If you were to take take your NP, take your character, and put them in a pot, stick them on the stove on low, <laughs> and let them simmer for hours, what do you come back to? You come back to just this pure, undilute, this pure, concentrated essence of this character. Mm-hmm. And what is that? If you had to describe this character in one word. And the cipher system kind of does this as well in character creation, where it's like, I am an adjective noun who verbs, mm-hmm. is sort of that character creation thing that's a different episode uh (laughs) there's oh yeah no it just uh i was gonna say it helps you get a very basic and very kind of clear idea of the character you are wanting to play without having to overthink anything at the start you can just like okay i want to play um i want to play a person with a sword i want to play 
strong woman with a sword. And that is your basic idea. And then from there, as you're building, it's going to become uh, bigger and bigger and bigger. Though, uh, uh, before we talk too much about character creation, I want to ask, is it, would you say it's more important to talk about the creation of the characters or the creation of the world first? Oh, that's, oh God, that's such a hard question because I love building both directions. Mm-hmm. Um, I love building top down. I love building bottom up, uh, top down, taking this big, huge, like great big question, like, I can't even think of one right now. Like that sort of like Star Trek. What if we lived in a post scarcity utopia in space? That is like mm-hmm. what what does the world look like? And then tunneling down and finding places where the, your players find something interesting that they want to step into their shoes. Or what do you want to play? What do you want to play? Mm-hmm. What do you want to play? Take those three characters, those three like big high concept ideas, and then shape a world around them. Because with fate. You can kind of go either way. Um, you really can, and it's baked in either way as well, where it's like you can create the world first and then the characters, mm-hmm. characters to world. You can do it whichever order you want. Um, mm-hmm. Then I'd say if we are already talking about uh, character creation, let's go that way first. Okay. Give some kind of ideas, and then we can uh, kind of go into the world afterwards and how you can structure it around the ideas you have or the ideas that your players have for your characters or you have for your characters that then you can yeah. give to the GM and make it a actual idea. And go, hey, here's – and sort of here's here's in all these stories that you're kind of looking at. So like – yeah, like you were talking about, you were like, what is my character cause? Like if I had to tell you my character in a single sentence, a strong woman with a sword, mm-hmm. you can – that is a perfectly – that's a perfectly good high concept. This yep. is what – this is who this character is. This is who she wants to be. Um, you could also do something with like strong woman with a sword for hire and you add mm-hmm. a little more of a, t- you can add in like, this is my job. And that's a perfectly valid concept. You can throw adds in just a little bit more into the actual idea, add a little bit of a relationship, like, um, mm-hmm. exiled strong woman with a sword for hire, like throw in an adjective, pick, run through the source, pick your favorite adjective, slap it on your character. And it adds, <laughs> it adds a little morsel to that. It gives you something. It gives your GM something to go, Ooh, you're exiled. Let's focus. Why are you exiled? Who exiled you? And that starts building out the world around it. Um, yes. Cause any word, any, any, um, anything that you add into your high concept or aspects that we will be talking about later, um, any of that can be used and picked apart as tools for the story, Correct. for other characters, for relationships, all of that. So as much information as you can get into like a single sentence mm-hmm. and, is really, and, really useful. Yeah. And giving suggestions. It doesn't have, mm-hmm. you don't have to have all the answers. In fact, Absolutely. that is frowned on. You don't want all of the answers to all of your questions mm-hmm. because that's something where like, say exiled let's exiled strong woman with a sword (laughs) you don't need to know why you were exiled your character can just keep it quiet maybe you were exiled from a location and then you and the gm can figure out privately who kicked you out what got you kicked out and sort of build out into that um and that kind of feeds into the trouble which is the other part this is a Negative is – it's hard to call it a negative, but it is a um, – It's something that will cause you more trouble than good most of the time. What makes your life complicated? Exactly, right? yes. Like, um, 
you know, if it's something with with magic, you're like, oh, I'm a great spellcaster, but I, you know, I don't have strong control of my magic. Like there is something that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's Strong something woman that, with a sword that's exiled. You could be getting hunted down by whoever exiled you. Maybe you are a criminal in that place, and that's why you were exiled. Yeah, your your criminal past haunts you. You made you made powerful enemies. Is mm-hmm. such like because again, you want those to be short. You want that to be like if this sentence shows up and someone's like, "Yeah, I've made powerful enemies." That immediately sends your brain going like, who are these people? How powerful are they? Are they going to come after me because they're friends with me? Mm -hmm. And how does this stretch? How does this expand and build into the world? And these are, like you'd you'd said the A word earlier, aspects. (laughs) And there's part of the thing that I love about fate and why fate is so flexible is because it, it goes, hey, here are these things that your character is. These are core components of your character. These are core components of the story you all are telling. And there is a meta currency. Um, there is a thing that exists sort of above the game that the players are aware of that you can start exchanging between the players and the GMs. But we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. So yeah, I like we'll we'll stick with our strong woman with the sword example. Has powerful enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you want to get more specific, has made powerful enemies with um you know, with the black knives. Okay, well now who are the black knives? What do they do? And why did you piss them off? And that <laughs> sort of, again, looping into that collective world building starts to step forward. So once you have those two big aspects, your high concept and your trouble, and something they bring up in, in this book, um, they talk about the bright side of a trouble, like why that's so good. It is something that has made your character stronger in some way it is not necessarily entirely a bad thing it could be something like you have excuse me you have an addiction you have something that you have to try and overcome daily but that has made you stronger in a way lives more interesting yeah more and a little sometimes more tragic but also something that Mm -hmm. the gm can reward you for the strength that it takes to get through that trouble Yes. Um, and sort of extending that out a little bit into how that has changed you as a person. Absolutely. Or, or, or hypothetical not person. Because um, again, <laughs> there are no rules for race. There are no rules for gender. There are no rules. You don't even have to be human. Like, mm-hmm. you could all be dogs. You could run a fate game where you're all puppies. And once we get into the the skills and stuff like that, you can kind of shape that how you will. But again, there are there are basically you you can say no the only person who can say no we can't do that is somebody at your table the game mm-hmm. says do whatever the hell you want as long as everyone's cool with it hey everyone it is time for the midpoint break in today's episode i really hope that you are enjoying it so far if you are please make sure to follow the rpg goblin wherever you listen to your podcast uh, so that you can be reminded whenever there is a new episode which comes out weekly and if you haven't yet please make sure to give the rpg goblin a rating wherever you listen to it it really helps other people know that you're enjoying the show and it just makes me really happy to see 
If you want more behind the scenes and knowing what's happening uh, with the RPG Goblin outside of the podcast, please make sure to follow me on social media as well. I mainly use threads and TikTok at the moment, which you can find me on both at the RPG Goblin. I like to spotlight a lot of games in much shorter videos there. I also like to show off what I'm reading and I like to talk about TTRPGs there, so join the conversation. Also, just as a reminder, the RPG Goblin does have a Patreon And if you would like to see this show continue and you like what we're doing here with introducing people to new TTRPGs, please make sure to go support it if you can. It's only $5 a month for the lowest tier and that will get you access to the RPG Goblin Discord server along with monthly TTRPG parties where we will have guests, giveaways, and generally awesome TTRPG conversations since you can ask questions and yeah, just have a really good time. The first party is going to be at the end of February and I'm really, really excited for it. So so if you want to know what that party is going to have in it, please make sure to follow the RPG Goblin on social media. Now, I appreciate all the support towards this show, whether it be through listening, following along with the podcast, or going and becoming a patron. It all means the world to me and I want to thank you so, so very much. Yeah, just, it's it's all just coming up. Again, it's pure just imagination and coming up with a story maybe pretty much on the spot because I don't know how much they, at least from what I've read and how I would approach the game, I don't know how much I would plan before saying, let's play a game of fate because it is so tied into being collaborative. If you plan for anything beforehand, I don't think you're going to do the game any sort of justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that are you saying that as a GM or as a player? Um, I think a little. I think as a player, I would at least start getting some ideas of a character in mind. Mm-hmm. And as a GM, I would maybe start like thinking of some like story aspects. But I would do that along with my player or with my GM, depending on which role I'm in, so yeah. that everyone is coming to the table and um, ready to kind of make like all on board for the same type of story because that is what fate is is being on board for the same type of story whether you want to play a space opera uh, and a a story based in the apocalypse based in space sci-fi like all of that you You are all on board for the same story you could absolutely run um and i think there's actually an example of it in the book where they talk about running a like Victorian high society party in fate, like full telenovela drama, like romance novel kind of plot. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, I feel like that's the folks at Evil Hat flexing and being like, you can do whatever the hell you want with our system. Look, (laughs) it works. Um, Just here, here, here is the biggest sandbox. Here's all the tools you could use. If you don't want to use some of those tools, that's fine. You don't need them. You don't need any Mm -hmm. of those. You could just play with what you want to play with. Um, exactly it's it's so great uh though i would love to start getting into so we've covered the high concept and the trouble um as you are making your character you get what are called aspects which are things that your character things that describe your character um like personality quirks items that they have things like that important Mm -hmm. things um, but they're called aspects. And these are basically, if you have played D&D, you can think of it more like an ability. Like these are your quote unquote abilities, but it's more tied into who your character is versus what they can do. Mm-hmm. And um, in Fate, you get five aspects total, correct? Um, I believe you might be able beginning. to get more. Um, and you can have, 
up to five because there's something funky with refresh. Hold, please. Let me triple check <laughs> so I make sure I'm saying this correctly. Um, but yeah, like the the aspects are the core of the game. They are the core mm-hmm. skill component that you really have going on. Um, I think you might get a re. Those are stunts. I'm thinking of stunts rather than aspects. Um, so mm-hmm. aspects you do. Um, and like stunt and aspect, a lot of these words should have an invisible capital letter in front of them. Mm-hmm, um, yes. So yeah, you have your, so your high concept and your trouble are aspects, and then you have three additional. So yes, you are yes. correct with five. All right. And um, so like we already covered, the, the high concept and the trouble, those are two of the aspects. And then th- the three other aspects um, in the game are actually done through um, relationship building. And, like, a little bit of um, backstory building as well. And I personally love the way that they do this. And I would love, uh, because you have actually, uh, I don't know if you, we, we didn't uh, clear this up before. Have you run Fate or just played in Fate? Or have you done both? I have done both. I have double dipped. Okay, perfect. I, I, I perfect. try not to, when people are like, hey, I want to talk about a game. I try to be like, here, I've, like, sitting on both sides of the table yeah, um, have double is absolutely mission critical in something this flexible. Um absolutely. because this this game pushes your improv button um <laughs> and your ability as a storyteller to find find the important compo- find the important bits in what you just said and make them matter. Um uh, because absolutely. those come in those those are their own aspects in an in an interesting way. <laughs> um so yeah, your Building characters, um, you end up doing, you you pick, you, so we've developed, um, we should name the strong woman with a sword, so we're not just saying strong woman with a sword every um, time we come back to her. Um, <laughs> First name that came to mind, Vanessa. Vanessa, perfect. Vanessa. Um, <laughs> so, Vanessa, strong woman with a sword, um, has made powerful enemies. Yes. So you, you playing Vanessa, you come up with sort of your first the basic details of your first adventure mm-hmm. right your your first step out into the world um doesn't have a lot of detail like one or two sentences less is more in this case because you want to give your other players room to insert themselves and make themselves part of your story um, absolutely so you you have a dilemma something that like something that makes your your high concept and trouble work for you because this is where those are really your only two quote unquote abilities you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vanessa strong woman of the sword, maybe she's working for the black knives and then her, like she ended up releasing, um, you know, letting somebody go that witnessed a crime. So she's working mm-hmm. with a crime syndicate. Somebody saw a crime and she didn't chase them down and murder them with her giant sword. Um, <laughs> And then so, that became a problem. And that that is your tr- cool. There's your trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, so like you with that you kind of come up with with the aspect from that story. Why did why did Vanessa let this person go? Was it a child? Was it someone who looked like her sister or her brother? Mm-hmm. Um, was it? Was it a priest? Was it someone that she couldn't do harm to? Did she originally not want to be a part of the Black Knives and was trying to find a way to get out? Right. Maybe, you know, it's something 
just really core to that aspect. Like mm-hmm. not not cut out for a life of crime mm-hmm. would be a great aspect. Uh, and so you you kind of come up with that. And you write it down. Um, and you put that on an index card. Um, also, as far as materials you need for this game, whole buttload of index cards, a bunch of sharpies, and some. <laughs> every D6s. one that you can get. Every index <laughs> every card you can one. buy from. Take every index card they sell at your local Staples. If you don't have a local Staples, move somewhere that does. Because <laughs> you'll need it. <laughs> you will absolutely need them. Um, or don't buy Staples. Shop local. Find a local print shop. Exactly. Um. So then you you take that card. So Vanessa, um. Yeah, let's do uh, not cut out for crime. So you take that card and you slide it over to the other player at your table, and they can do one of two things. They can complicate the situation and make it a little, maybe that person, maybe player two um, or character two, uh, we'll call him Jonathan. Uh, So Jonathan, maybe Jonathan was that person. Mm -hmm. Or... Jonathan, you know, he maybe he was the person that Vanessa couldn't chase down and like keep quiet. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Jonathan um maybe Jonathan's a member of the Black Knives who sort of stepped in and assisted. And he Jonathan has the opportunity to add himself into the into the story and either complicate it or solve it or do a mix of both. Indeed. And really And it should always be a supporting role as well, correct? You yes. don't want to be the center of what you are adding to this story. This is, is this is about Vanessa's story rather than Jonathan's. Yes. Jonathan becomes an NPC, becomes a secondary player. Mm-hmm. Because Jonathan has just written his own tragic backs or his own first adventure <laughs> and passed that over to um Alexis. Marie. We'll go with yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll go with Marie. Yeah. So <laughs> he passes over to his card over to Marie, and Marie is putting herself in as sort of this supportive or conf- or complicating NPC in that story. Mm-hmm. And then pretty much every every person is getting one of these cards. It's get it. So you would just pass it around the table, let's say clockwise. So yeah, uh, um, Jonathan would be getting yours. Uh, Marie would be getting his and then you would be getting Marie's and all of you would be adding these um, uh, troubles or, or pro- uh, the problems, the solutions, a little bit of both to each of each other's uh stories correct? yeah and then from there you um that adds another sort of aspect to it mm-hmm. um so you're something that your character as a as a secondary pc somebody looks around and like you know they're they're helping they're they're assisting in some way um you know jonathan's character pull it like adds his bit to the story and then goes why did i do this thing I mm-hmm. I made this choice. I helped. I alerted the guards that there was a crime or something like that. What does that say about me in doing this to complicate or to support the other player's story? And there's your second aspect. Absolutely. Um, and and correct me. So when you are adding to that card, the what you are writing is that an aspect you, the player, is adding to your characters sheet or is that something you are adding to someone else's character the aspect um, you are you are adding to the other player's story with your mm-hmm. aspect okay perfect so yeah it is so like Jonathan. so vanessa passes passes her card to jonathan and she gets marie's card marie's story 
Vanessa is a secondary player in, but it, mm-hmm. whatever happens in that story is Vanessa's aspect coming for, coming to the forefront. So there's a little okay. you're a secondary player, but the spotlight is on you. The cam the metaphorical camera is following you in mm-hmm. this moment. While it's um oh lordy, I tried to think of a movie example that works, and it just vacant. I've never seen a movie before. If you ask me right now. Um, <laughs> All this time, never seen every one single movie. <laughs> every single film I've ever seen didn't exist. Um, <laughs> It's it's the secondary hero. It's the mm-hmm. um, the secondary hero sort of getting their moment to shine to support the primary story, but mm-hmm. we still learn something about that secondary character. It's um yes. All I can think of is Lewis from Ant Man. Like it is Lewis is not. <laughs> it's not about him. It's not about his story. But his actions are important to Paul to um to Paul Rudd's character surviving some of those things, mm-hmm. and that doesn't diminish Lewis's part of the story. It's just not his story. Still but makes to, him rememberable and 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 gives right. him something, gives him yeah. some weight in that story. Yes, hundred percent. And like that couldn't happen without him being there. Yes. It is it is a significant moment for both of you. It's less significant in the in the primary player's story than it is following through onto the next one. Um, Absolutely. And that gives you your second aspect. Um, mm-hmm. And then. You do it one more time, and you cross paths again, um, and it you get whichever one you haven't touched yet. Yes. So Vanessa would now get has given Jonathan one. She got one of Marie, so now she gets Jonathan's. Mm-hmm. And then it is you. You're contributing to sort of that that last piece of the adventure um, that the other two have already started. So the three of you are kind of. You don't all have to end up together at the end, but mm-hmm. you are making yourself sort of a an additional component. Again, resolving or complicating whatever happened in that second part of the adventure, that second aspect. And mm-hmm. what does that teach you about your character in that moment mm-hmm. um, that might change? And you're, you're adding – basically, this is, this is adding shades and highlights to a character because by the time you've got your high concept and your trouble – great you have um thinking of it thinking of it like art right you have your your bare bones sketch you understand the shape and the form of the object second and then once you start doing the adventures you start cutting away and adding in details and adding in your line art yeah doing the line (laughs) art and adding install adding in all of that second story you add color you're adding in how you are helpful or harmful or just a little a little bit chaotic and then the third time you're like, great, this is still really flat. How can I add depth? How can I add something to really make this character pop off the page instead of just being, hello, I have a, I have a 20 in strength, which gives me a plus five hooray. Um, <laughs> so those are, and that's really like. Personality. Yeah, it's, it's the depth. It's that world. It helps make the world feel more lived in, mm-hmm. in a way that you don't really get in D and D unless you've played a lot or other right. systems where it is like you can roll 46, five times, drop the lowest stat, give yourself some armor and go adventuring. This is much <laughs> more focused on who is going out, who is adventuring and why, or even not adventuring who is going out and doing these things and why. Absolutely. Uh, One of my favorite like quotes that I've seen of someone actually describing fate is it's about who the characters are, not what they can do. Yes, it is one hundred percent. 
It's uh, so good. Like, and that's every time that I look at Fade, I'm like that exact quote. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that is so after you do the the final aspect when you add the last bit of information to another person's story, you get your final aspect, whatever it may be, uh, whether you solved a problem, complicated it, or so forth. Uh, then you are done with your aspects for now. Correct. Mm-hmm. What do you move on to next? Uh, because I haven't built a character for fate i don't i've okay. haven't played a game of it yet so i would love to know after the aspects and building your character or at least the very base idea with those details finally in place what do you yeah. go on to next so next is skills and mm-hmm. this is something where um your the skills vary wildly depending on what might be relevant in your game um mm-hmm. you'll have um, things like, see, is this all of them on this page, actually? <clears throat> um, athletics, burglary, contacts, crafts, deceive, drive, empathy, fight, investigate, lore, notice, physique, provoke, rapport, resources, shoot, stealth, and will. If that turned into word salad, that's totally fine. They're all written <laughs> on the character sheet. Um, but the the important thing is you will pick, going so going around the table, you start picking you start picking those cards you or uh i i have they evil hat does phenomenal supporting products because all of their they have all their pdfs they have skill cards which Mm -hmm. you can literally lay out on the table (laughs) and people are like "Ooh, um so like strong woman with the sword fight probably thing that she's really best at Mm -hmm. um so you have um Instead of having a pure numerical value, you also have sort of adjectives attached to them. So you get one skill that you're great at, two that you're good at, three that you're fair at, and four that you're average with. Mm-hmm. And so based on these aspects and the trouble and everything that you've done up to this point, you can now go, great, I'm going to be really good. At, I'm going to be great at fighting. I'm going to be good at maybe um, – I just lost that page because I didn't use the bookmark that I had. Uh, <laughs> you can – sort of pulling from those things uh from those aspects you have you're able to develop this understanding of this character so like vanessa fight great make that your top skill um Mm -hmm. athletics probably good um empathy also probably good because if you're not gonna hunt down someone who's running away from you who saw you commit a crime you're probably a caring person Um, exactly and these are physical emotional and mental stats that don't have anything really assigned to them other than just the word, mm-hmm. which is how you can get away with a setting agnostic system is you keep it that those honestly describe fate more than anything. It is a it's a perfect word for a wide number of conversations. It's everything that an English teacher hates where it's like he fought him. He fought him. <laughs> fight is the word that can be with a gun. That could be with a sword. That can be with a laser pistol. It could be anything mm-hmm. you need it to be. You could fight with words if you're in that Victorian, you know, telenovela romance. You're having exactly. a verbal duel. You could you could make fight your thing. And that mm-hmm. based on the world that you all have all created, that's what fight means in this room. Exactly. And that's how you make your individual games also more interesting. Mm-hmm. Because you do have just these very basic words. Yeah. Fight. Uh, what does that and, mean? It's so yeah. great. <laughs> how, do, how, do, how do I have a – if I want to fight somebody in this room, 
aside from r- literally reaching out across the room and punching him, what is that is is that allowed? Is there a different way to fight in this? And mm-hmm. this sort of gets into the narrative storytelling that everyone is doing together. Fate was the first time that I really locked in and went, this is cooperative storytelling. Everyone has equal weight and equal say in what's going on mm-hmm. and respecting what is going on around me and respecting respecting the words and respecting the ideas that other people have. Um, Absolutely. This is this is the ultimate yes and or no but game. <laughs> um, it's so good. It's so good. And again, I've just been like, I mean, f- every single game that I have and talk about, I want to play. But specifically, Fate has been one I've wanted to dabble in just to see, you know, what we what we can do in it. Yeah. What are the possibilities? And, and it's it's very forgiving. Fun. It's very forgiving if you screw stuff up uh, because mm-hmm. there's it's like, OK, yeah, whatever. We'll just move past that. That's the rule now. And we kind of keep going. Um, yeah. And but, if you end up not liking a rule, just say, no, I'm good. No, yeah, we're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> and so. What each of those skills do is they give you there is now we get into the number crunching a little bit. They give you a plus. They give you a plus to that role. Mm-hmm. So you are uh, they have this thing called the ladder, which is really your success and failure of how this thing is going to go. Um, so like if you're the ladder basically ranks your success or failure as you're doing these things. So mm-hmm. Vanessa. Plus uh, is great at fighting. She gets a plus four. And then when you roll dice, when you when you do get to roll dice, there is dice rolling in this game, I promise. Uh, <laughs> you are rolling D6s that have a plus sign, a minus sign, a plus sign, a minus sign, or a blank. Yes. And you take those six dice, you shake them, and you roll them. And pluses and minuses neutral each other out. And you determine how well you kind of do and by having a great skill at that you're adding plus four so mm-hmm. you can you could roll nothing you could roll an absolute zero which really nothing happens like you you mm-hmm. attempt something you kind of achieve it um it's a mediocre you know mediocre victory and you you kind of do it yeah. um if there's nothing stopping you that's the equivalent of like all right well you rolled a 10 on your your lock picking um mm-hmm. But if you have the bonus, that gets added on at the end. So you can go from, oh, I rolled a zero to, oh, I rolled a four, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, which the difference, and especially if you're rolling to like to hit somebody or to <laughs> do something difficult, you may need to roll. There is resistance. There is a number you have to roll to beat. Mm-hmm. And depending on how hard you beat that number, we trigger additional aspects. You as a player might get to make an aspect about the scene. Mm. So again, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> uh, you also have something called stunts. So like once, once you pick your skills and you're like, great, this is what I'm good at. Um, you pick stunts, which is kind of a more specific skill. These are a little more like feats in D and D. Um, yeah, I've been very curious about um, exactly what stunts do and what they offer f- for the game, because that's one part of the book so far that I have not gotten into. So this okay. is going to be entirely new territory that I'm very excited about. Yes. So the stunts are um, are very – they are specifics for your character. Um, mm. So let's let's pick a random one. 
uh, provoke. Let's pick provoke. You, uh, we'll, we'll make Jonathan. Jonathan is great at provoking people. He's an <laughs> asshole. Um, he loves starting fights. So he's mm-hmm. like, this is something that Jonathan's really good at. He likes getting into trouble and causing, um, getting an emotional response of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's the being, the, it's the being a jerk skill is literally in the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you could have a stunt. Um, that's like, you could pick a fight. Like you can, if you want to pick a fight and you're provoking somebody, you could just be really, really good at it and give mm-hmm. yourself, um, it make, make somebody more likely to engage, to, to get angry or you make them attack you instead of somebody else. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to, you could be the target. You could make that person's target shift to you. And now you're the problem and you're the one that they want to put in the ground. And so, <laughs> and that, that all depends on how Jonathan's built his character. If he's the guy who just starts a fight and walks away, it could be something like, Hey, if I provoke and leave, no one's going to follow me. Like I can cause a distraction by pointing, like I get people to start getting angry and I leave the room and they take it out on each other. Mm-hmm. That Have would the problem solve itself <laughs> or just like, I need a distraction. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be like, Hey, did you hear Johnny was, Johnny was saying some really, really rude things about your wife. And then, you know, Billy Bob stands up and goes, Hey, Johnny, what are you doing? And then they start a fight and Jonathan just scoots out of the way. Like that, that mm-hmm. is a, that's an idea for a stunt. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just, it is a little more mechanical, but it's, what is the bonus? What can Mm -hmm. I do? What am I extra good at? What special thing do I get to do with this skill? Absolutely. Um, For something like, you can create your own, correct? Yes. Uh, that one. Yeah. So like the, the one that I, the one that we were just talking about, like starting a bar fight and walking away Mm -hmm. was something that I kind of just made up. Because that is a, like, um, because I picked Provoke and I was like, oh, what is this? It's like, um, uh, there's one called Okay, Fine. You could use Provoke in place of Empathy to learn a target's aspects or learn something about them. And instead of being like, I want to learn more about you, you just keep needling them until they crack and show you something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Make them explode with anger. Really just just like, like, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep poking until i find a button and i'm gonna push <laughs> that button until it does something um <laughs> or like you uh, one of the ones is like i think one of the ones they come up with in the example is like if i haven't been there i've read about it and yes, that's for that's your you, your knowledge-based person and again these are all you want these to be evocative phrases mm-hmm. something that like if, if you you pack as much information and as much useful as much juicy content into a single sentence as you can. Mm -hmm. You Um, want it to be useful in the game. These are all like you get only so many of these, especially just to start. Yeah. You get so many and you want to try and use these as much as possible. And my favorite thing is saying like aspects should be like a double-edged sword. There should be goods. There Mm -hmm. should be good things and negative things that can come from a single aspect. And they even recommend like, um, if you're thinking of an aspect, try and think of two good reason, two good ways it can be used and two bad ways it can be used. And mm-hmm. if you can think of both of those, good. That sounds like a great aspect. But they want you to use these um, aspects and, and stunts and all of that because that is your character. You don't Correct. 
everything else is role play and improv and coming up with things. If you want to actually use the mechanical bits of the story, you have to make them interesting and usable. And that's where also the creating the world together helps out so much more because you know what you're going to be getting into. And your GM will know what your aspects are and create a story that will help you actually be able to use the um, ability, not the abilities, but the aspects and the uh, skills that your character does have to make the story feel like it's all about you because it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and this is, this is one of the games where with a lot of games that I've played where it's like, Hey, build the world cool go play in it this is one where as a gm i go okay either i've come in with like i have a big like single again i basically have a high concept for the world Mm -hmm. what if magic but 1920s mafia of course cool great let's let's dive into that a little let's figure out where the players want to be and then instead of building this massive world with tomes and tomes and tomes of book i -hmm. just go cool we are in a city we are in a section of the city we can explore as big or as small as we need to and let's start building from there and then sit down with my players they come up with characters we do our session zero sorry session zero always important character building and then i go great i'll see you in two weeks i'm gonna go make a plot and (laughs) like i take all the juicy tidbits and i go hide in my office with like the door shut and a hood up and some candles burning um (laughs) it's a little culty don't worry about it and then we come back two weeks later and yeah, we come back two weeks later and I go, great, let's play. Because mm-hmm. if I build a story, me building a story without the characters is me building a movie set without any idea of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, great, I've built this massive castle. Oh, we're not. No script. We're not doing anything with a castle. We're going to mm-hmm. we're going to stay in this dingy downtown bar and that's all we're going to be at. Well, shoot, I just spent all this time building a castle that we're not going to use. I might save it for later and transfer it into another system. But you want this is this is not a game where you come in with a capital B big idea and go, "This is the game we're playing." Because the char- unless you're friends enough with your players that they're like, "Cool, this is a world I want to play in. Let's start poking holes in it." Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of where, and I think that's a really good opportunity to talk about the meta currency, talk about yes. invoking aspects and fate coins, <laughs> because this this is shit uh, that I pull into almost every game that I can. Because mm-hmm. it, so meta currency, what the hell is that? If you've played D anD D, it's inspiration. It's a thing that your character gets, but it only exists on the character sheet. It doesn't exist in the real world or in the world mm-hmm. of the players. Fate has fate points, fate coins, whatever you want to call them. I've used poker chips. I've used pieces of candy. Um, It is a thing that the players are trading back and forth. Mm -hmm. And as you're going through the world and playing this game, the GM is describing a scene. And they will be describing aspects of a scene, very similar to the aspects that you as players and you have all come up with together for yourselves. You're coming up with these aspects for the world you're in, for the characters you're up against, um, you know, what kind of things you're looking at. Okay, you're at a bar. Uh, What's the bar like? Well, it's it's, it's all the adjectives you use to describe this bar. Low ceilings, Mm -hmm. uh, wobbly, like half broken tables and chairs. 
um, strongest booze this side of the river. Those are all aspects. And what you can do in the game is like you kind of you you use those aspects as touchstones for the story. Mm-hmm. So like uh, you're you're in this bar. Maybe you're looking for information and Jonathan wants to start a fight. And he goes, hey, I know these chairs and tables break really easily. So I'm going to pick one up and like I'm going to, you know, start a, or I'm going to lean up against somebody's chair and try to break it out from under him to see if I get us like can start something. And that's you invoking an aspect of the scene. And that's invoking with a capital I because you will go, Hey, I want to use this. And you will give the GM a fake coin. And it Mm -hmm. gives you, and that might be something where the GM's like, I'm not even going to make your roll. You pay me a fake coin done. The chair is going to collapse under him. And the guy's going to be able to get up and be like, Hey, what the hell are you doing here? And then you get what you want. Mm -hmm. The trick is the GM can do the same to you. Yes. Uh, it complicated. <laughs> yes. You can do what's called a compel. So, like, the players can trade in fate coins um, to invoke. You can add, you can do a couple of things with fate coins. Let's start with what the players get to do. Um, mm-hmm. You can add plus two to your roll or reroll all your dice if you're doing, like, a skill check or something. Um, mm-hmm. You can give another character plus two and like describe how you're helping them and give a little bonus and all Um, of these have to uh involve an aspect as well correct it can't just be i trade this in it's not like nor it's not like inspiration in D &D where it's like i have this and i'll just use it because i can roll two d20s it's i need to bring in an aspect of my character or from the or environment of the world to we're actually in. Help. Yeah, yes. exactly. And like if in the the useful skill, one of the skills we talked about is empathy, is finding out somebody else's aspect so you can start mm-hmm. poking it. So mm-hmm. like if um uh let's say Marie has a really high empathy, she can be like, "Hey, what's tell me one of the aspects of this the guy that we're trying to find, or like the guy mm-hmm. that's sitting here in front of me, and it could be like he's got a he's got a short temper, or he or he doesn't get mad easily, mm-hmm. and then you can invoke that and play off of what you know, play off of that aspect, and all these aspects. This is where the index cards come in because you write them <laughs> down and just write down aspects mm-hmm. of like, hey, these are a character's aspects. This is the aspects of the scene, um, and so we'll say we'll say Jonathan is like, hey, the table and chairs are really are really fragile, so I want to try and break this dude's chair out from under him. GM mm-hmm. says, cool, give me a fate point. So he trades that in, the chair breaks, and the GM might be like, uh, might have another, um, that might make a new aspect, where it's like, where it's just called like debris. Mm-hmm. As things are starting to break, and there's things on the floor. Um, as the and scene advances. As the scene changes, the, the room itself changes because a lot of battle maps, especially like big bigger ones, they're kind of static mm-hmm. because it's like, well, I spent all, put all the time into this model. I wasn't ready for my building to catch on fire. This one, it's super easy. You just take an index card, go building on fire and slap it down in front of your players. And now in the rules of the game, the building's on fire. <laughs> super flexible. And something, and again, this it's unbelievably flexible in any direction you want to pull on it. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, just from my experience, um, as someone, I actually have a very hard time imagining things in my head. So when I play games with theater of the mind, it's a struggle for me to remember aspects yeah, of, absolutely. you know, battle scenes, stuff like that. 
And knowing that you could just write it all down on an index card that everyone can see. Everyone can see it. Everyone knows what's happening and everyone can just reference it and like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I want that works perfect for something that I want to do because I might want to start actually fighting the guy at the bar because he might be someone that we're chasing down and we just needed to start a fight to cause havoc to then try and get him out or something so that that. vanessa can go pick out a single target while the rest of the bar is in flames because no one's going to notice if one guy gets beaten up and dragged out of there (laughs) Um, and it also it also does something that as someone who plays a lot of board games i suffer from uh, AP analysis paralysis or action paralysis, mm-hmm. and it's something that you get a lot of in D and D, and a lot of like a lot of role playing games where the game goes, "You could do whatever you want, yeah." And then you look, and they're like, "Well, what do you want to do?" And they're like, "I could do anything." Oh no, what's right? And your brain, you just get inundated with choices, and your brain mm-hmm. locks up. <laughs> and it happens to me all the time. My partner makes fun of me for it incessantly when we play board games because she just watches my brain blue screen fate is really good yeah it's just like oh what's what's the right choice i haven't had time to think through all of my options so i'm just gonna freak out and freeze fate Mm. is really good when you're just like okay what do i know about the scene and you look at the table and you go cool there's debris on the floor can i use that yeah maybe um the fight's already kind of starting the booze here is really strong do i start a fire is that the plan and -hmm. like you have suggestions that aren't generic like um one of my favorite things on sword yeah oh no it's um the guards kick down the door or something like that maybe there are no guards maybe it's another maybe it's the trash man is supposed to come by and it's all stuff that you have all (laughs) built together to Mm -hmm. set up this scene and then any choice that you make referencing one of those immediately fits the scene of what's happening Absolutely. And you have it in this – again, that's why you want to keep the phrases short. You want to keep your aspects short and and juicy as possible. As but also vague so, as possible. Yes. It's like – it's a perfect balance between like short, juicy, vague because that's yeah. where you're going to get the best – like the best uses because if it's vague enough – and that's also with – I think uh, we didn't – I don't know how much we really have to cover the world building aspect because it's as simple as it's just creating an aspect of like a big, not a big bad, but like kind of the first conflict and parts of the world and things like that. It's leaving those things vague enough that as you are playing the game, you can explore it more and more and keep it open because you don't want to put yourself in a box that you can't get out of because you put too much detail in early on and you Mm. want to and things end up going in a direction that because you prepared too much at the beginning you weren't prepared for and so now it's like ah (laughs) freaking out yeah or or you're gonna try and keep the the like you have an idea for a story and the players are going to be pulling in the opposite direction Mm -hmm. And it kind of like doesn't it doesn't give like it wants to it doesn't flow Mm -hmm. very flexibly and comfortably um, and a perfect example is like in this hypothetical bar fight scenario, what do we know about the city? There's cr- like a lot of crime uh, mm-hmm. or like there, there are crime families maybe, or just like yeah, a crime ridden city. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of that comes from, especially with player with players that want to get into the nitty gritty and are comfortable going, Hey, what about this? Is this a cool idea? Eh, maybe. And if while you're building your characters, the world builds around it. And mm-hmm. you're sort of you you're building the the scenes and the aspects of each of those um 
oh god, all the brain, all the words left my brain again. Um, you're building <laughs> out the the world based on what the players see, how they see their place in it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got someone who is a superhero who fights crime, um, that's the other thing. This is great for fucking superhero games. It's <laughs> it's so good because it's like, yeah, you do like eight things, and your stunt is basically your like more specific superpower. Actually, that's I I mean I've seen like uh, neutral s- systems uh, like talk about superhero, um, you know, playing superhero stories in it, and I never really gave it much thought until you just said that right now, like. Where it's just the specific abilities. Like, superheroes have their, you know, specific, like, their small, their their small arsenal of very specific things. Yeah. Perfect. Because that would I, just be each of your aspects and yep. or, and your stunts and all of that. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> and so, so that's, oh God, that's my favorite noise when I'm talking to RPGs with people is hearing <laughs> that metaphorical fate coin just drop. And you're like, oh, this is brilliant. <laughs> um, because that's the sort of thing where it's like, cool, I want to invoke an aspect of myself. I give the GM mm-hmm. a fate coin and I can use my, I can, you know, use my flamethrower ability or something like that. I can invoke mm-hmm. that and do that thing. Um, but again, so, so that's kind of like building that world, building the scene, getting everything ready, invoking different aspects of it. Some of them you might only be able to use once or twice. Some of them, mm-hmm. uh, the aspects, um, might also be a timer, Kind of like in Blades in the Dark where you have clocks, you can use mm-hmm. that aspect. So like burning building, you can put six boxes on it. Mm-hmm. And as people help or hurt that aspect of the world or ignore it or use that part of it. Yeah, it's like, oh, the building's on fire. I want like this beam comes down and like the players get a little more descriptor in their role playing. It's like I want to invoke the buildings collapsing or on fire. Mm-hmm. This beam comes down and blocks off the exit. So this guy can't get away. Cool. Done. Give me that. I might mark off a box on the building collapsing. Cause you've described more damage happening to it, mm-hmm. but that gives you a narrative edge to make this kind and of choice. And it gives you something cool to do. Like yeah. pretty much anything that you could do in Fate can just can be cool because you're using these awesome aspects and stunts that you made or the awesome aspects of the environment or and of it your team. All flourishes. Absolutely. Exactly because um along with uh I know there before we get into it. So we've talked about uh invoking the aspects Right. And uh, other players can also invoke aspects of other people and mm-hmm. other players, mm-hmm. uh, basically being able to use them to their advantage, so forth. There are also um, there are, you can also use aspects to compel and yes. uh, create an advantage. I would love if you you could explain what those do within the game and how to do it. So compelling is something that um, usually at least in my experience, <laughs> the GM gets to do. This is the mm-hmm. GM getting to push back against the players a little bit. Not to be like, no, you're not allowed to have fun, but in the way that makes things exciting and dramatic and, and it raises the stakes a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So there's kind of two different ways to do a compel, but both of them involve me going, hey, this is an aspect you have. This might be your trouble. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a fate coin. I'm going to pay you in this meta currency. <laughs> um, you're in a situation where this might seem particularly relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, isn't that, isn't that a, isn't that a shame? Um, <laughs> darn. 
ain't so we'll we'll go with our compassionate sword wielding Vanessa. Of course. She's chasing down this member of the Black Knives. She found the guy who like this lieutenant of the Black Knives and she's got him and she's trapped him in an alley and he has a hostage. He's grabbed somebody and has a knife to their neck and she's a compassionate human and the GM is me. I could be like, "Hey, I want to compel you. I'm going to compel your compassion mm-hmm. and have you drop your sword. Mm-hmm. Like, it would make sense that you lower your sword when he's got a knife to her neck. And as the player, you have the option to refuse, but it costs you a fate point. It costs you a coin. Mm-hmm. So you always have the opportunity to say no if that cost is worth it to you. Absolutely. Um, Which I think gives... It gives the perfect balance of bringing in trouble and conflicts to your players, but also giving them the agency to say no. But mm-hmm. if they refuse, if they've refused the conflicts and they refuse the drawbacks of their aspects enough, they won't be able to do it for you forever. Won't get to do the cool things because a lot, yeah. a lot of the aspects require you to pay in to invoke them. Some of them are free. Um, mm-hmm. And some of them don't necessarily have a cost associated with them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you so like, and this kind of gets back into the rolling, where if you roll two, say say you you go to fight a guy and you um, he puts up a resistance of two, and you have a great, and Vanessa has a great in fight, so she's already mm-hmm. two above him. She's two points above where he ends up. Um, by default, she's going to succeed. He, she has a better fight skill than he does. She's going to succeed. Mm-hmm. But if she rolls and ends up three, three plus, she gets to make an advantage. She gets yes. to generate an advantage and generate an aspect about the scene that she gets to write down. Mm-hmm. Or Vanessa's player gets to write down and say, hey, like, I, I disarm. Like, he doesn't have a weapon. Great. You've disarmed mm-hmm. him. That is the advantage you create. This man doesn't have a sword. And then you write that down, and that is an advantage you get to inv- – that's something you get to invoke for free, mm-hmm. because until the GM says he runs, runs over and grabs his sword again, that he's disarmed. That is yes. just a, a fact of the story that you have created. I mean, it's, it's – I mean, just from the wording itself, you've created yourself an advantage because you did so well. And that is an aspect that you can then invoke for free. Mm-hmm. Because you helped create that with your role. You have set yourself up for success because you are good at your job. This is one exactly. of the things like Monster of the Week assumes that you are competent individuals who have, who are good at their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a fair assessment here. There might be times where you are rolling with a skill you're not great at. Um, and you won't be able to necessarily make all of those advantages. Mm-hmm. But you're able to... Um, you're still able to to progress, and even even if you tie, you'll still succeed. The mm-hmm. only time you loot, like you you fail your action, is if you roll less than whatever resistance somebody has, and that's mm-hmm. usually that's hard to do um, mm-hmm. unless it is a very like a very specific kind of challenge. And you're taking um, a real big risk. And you're taking a huge risk with a skill you're not good at. Um, but even then, even then, kind of talking about the fake coin, you either fail the action or you can succeed, but at great personal cost. Like mm-hmm. there is, there will be a downside no matter what. But if you absolutely have to defuse the bomb, you can, you will defuse it, but something very bad is going to happen to you in return. 
<laughs> you may not blow I, up, but like <laughs> bad things are going to happen. Absolutely. And I think that's actually a great way to start talking about um, there is stress and yes. consequences in this game that are yes. mechanical in the way of they are you can use them up. And uh, you use stress and and consequences when you are trying – stress is when you're trying to avoid mm-hmm. a con- – not a conflict, a consequence, but a consequence is when you are mostly going to be, like, taking personal harm of some yes. sort, and it's going to be a lasting effect. Yes. Um, I would love uh, some examples of how this has come up in personal games and um, how it just works in the game it- itself. Um, it's definitely one of those where, um, so yeah, you have basically two tracks of stress. Mm-hmm. You have a, a physical stress and a mental stress. Yes. So if you are doing something like drive, um, for the, the best example that I could come up with, and this is a, this is a roller coaster of a game. So bear with me. Um, <laughs> it started out, and this is also a sign of how flexible fate is. It started out as a horror game. Mm-hmm. where people were going to be in a cabin in the woods because we were in a cabin in the woods and i was hoping for like a like wendigo yeti like kind of horror murder story mm-hmm. and i was like this is what i want to do here's the setting and they're like what if what if we're recording a commercial and i went okay hold on and then the players started just kind of talking about it and coming up with these crazy ideas one of them was like a Twitch streamer who was like the guy driving the car or wanted to be the one driving the car. We had the actual race car driver. We had the mechanic for the car. Like it was this, it, it mm-hmm. snowballed into this entire different direction. And we ended up kind of becoming like a Pacific Northwest monster story involving, <sighs> involving something called a spofer, uh, which is a combination <laughs> of a spider and a gopher. And they are. <laughs> And that's really that's really as far as we got with what the hell a spofer was. Uh, yeah, and it's a and it was like we we don't we don't ask questions about the spofers uh, because <laughs> one of the players was like this crazy the the driver of the car was this crazy backwoods redneck who was like them spofers in damn dare hills and everyone just grabbed spofers and ran with it. Uh, <laughs> to this day, spofers like. Spofer is just a one-word joke that comes up every once in a while in our group chat, and it is the <laughs> dumbest thing. Uh, but that was one. So, like, through the course of this, they end up angering the hive of Spofers, and they're being chased. Mm-hmm. And the driver was doing um, – was a, he was a rally car driver driving on a track he didn't know, and the Twitch streamer was in the front seat. And I don't know how much you know about rally car driving, but there's – do you know anything about rally car driving? Let me actually ask a question. No. <laughs> okay. So rally car driving is sort of a point-to-point race through roads that are not really made for racing. Um, of course. Nice. And you have you are basically bolted into this car, and you go as fast as you can from point to point to point. And you are driving in pa- – there are two people to a car. You have the driver and your navigator, and your navigator mm-hmm. reads out specific directions – 500 meters turn left like this is the degree the degree of the turn this is how fast you should be going through it sometimes or they are relying on the driver to do that Um, all right incredibly stressful cool (laughs) unbelievably stressful situation especially when you've got 
um, other people in the back of the car and your navigator doesn't know what the hell he's doing because he's like a 16 year old <laughs> Twitch streamer who hasn't really done much in this world. Um, and so in that, that um, having the driver make driving checks of increasing difficulty, he's like, mm-hmm. All right, I need you to roll, like roll drive. Cause there's, there's really four actions you can do in fate. You overcome mm-hmm. an obstacle, create an advantage, you attack somebody or defend. So this was just a series of the driver overcoming actions, overcoming obstacles. Basically, he's driving 80 miles an hour through the backwoods of the Pacific Northwest, which are not really road friendly. Yeah, no, not really. And he's <laughs> so it was just overcome an obstacle, overcome an obstacle, overcome an obstacle. And he started the turns got more and more complicated because the rest of the party was trying to keep the spofers off the car. And so he started cueing mental stress mm-hmm. um, because he's trying harder and harder to keep things on the road uh, and making these last minute adjustments. He ended up, um, let me remember exactly how this landed, but essentially you have certain, you have either two, three, or four boxes of stress. Mm-hmm. And where is the chunk in the rules? Because it has been a minute since I played. I want to make sure that I tell our lovely viewers at home how to do this correctly. I, uh, I believe it actually involves your will and physique skills. Yes. And if you have a certain bonus to each of them, you get an additional box. So you start out with yes. two in each track. So start out with two in mental stress, start out with two in physical stress. And then um, if you have like a plus one to plus two, you get a third box. If you have a plus three to plus four, you get a fourth. And then if I, I think you have higher than that, which is kind of hard to do at the beginning, um, you get yeah, you, another yeah. consequence that's uh, tied in with, with whichever um track that you fully filled up so if you fully filled up mental uh then it uh gives you essentially a mental uh consequence box for you to fill yeah. out and, and you you can then it it does make you tankier in that regard because mm-hmm. your um the stress gets filled and why is this number of stress boxes based on physical will um so yeah if you're so with with this driving thing um you you gain stress equal to the difference mm-hmm. in between what you rolled and what the target difficulty is. So imagine in D and D, if you um, you failed a will save by instead of just like pass fail instead of that binary, there are the differences to it. So like, oh, you failed by two. So you take your you take your pencil and you fill in uh, mental stress. You fill in that two box because you failed by that amount. Mm-hmm. So you 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 check off the difference between those two numbers, um, unless if that box is already filled, you check off one that's higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like at the start of the game, you get one stress or two stress before you start taking consequences. That's when bad things start to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, with consequences, uh, three three severities: mod- mild, moderate, or severe. Um. Your so if you say on this driving check that he made, he failed by five, mm-hmm. and he only had a three. His highest value was a three in his mental stress, mm-hmm. um, which was which was available, but it d- still doesn't add up to five. He did not fail by five. 
Mm-hmm. So you have you can use your consequence and your stress box to make that number, to make a value of that. Yes. So with five, you can either do a mild consequence, which counts as two stress. Mm-hmm. And then um, – so five minus two is three. And then he had his three <laughs> mental stress box so he could check that off and be fine with just a mild consequence, mm-hmm. which could be something like um, – like mild con- again this is another aspect this is a thing that the gm kind of goes okay you're you're a little frazzled you're you're getting frantic can't think you're straight. not really you're yeah you're you're starting to get distracted because you're looking at everything trying to remember this road and trying to figure out what's going on um or you can take the four and take a bigger consequence mm-hmm. in exchange for a a smaller marker on your stress. So it's it's really am I do I think I can get through this now and deal like can I build fill up all my stress before I start taking consequences or do I take the big hit early mm-hmm. take a like four to get myself a moderate consequence and only fill in one of my smaller boxes so I come out of this with maybe one permanent large like one not permanent permanent's not the <laughs> quite the word I want a larger, more impactful aspect on this mm-hmm. than I would coming out of uh, coming out of this with just a lot of stress, but nothing permanent. Because stress goes away sort of between sessions. Some mm-hmm. of the consequences don't go away until they are, until actions are taken. So, like a moderate or severe uh, severe thing would be like um, a second degree burn, a compound fracture, a trauma induced phobia, something like that. Something that shapes the character in a way that does not go away quickly or easily um you know and these do become aspects correct correct. as you take the consequences which means that they can be against you (laughs) it can be invoked or compelled and i can go oh man you've got a broken hand you're gonna you're gonna have a real hard time climbing this rope ladder with that uh with Mm -hmm. that broken hand body here's this if you accept this compel and increase that might increase the difficulty that might give you something um will give you a downside but that also gives mm-hmm. you currency to use later you mm-hmm. um and i don't believe you can use once you can only compel or invoke you can't do both so if mm-hmm. i as the gm go you're going to have a real hard time climbing that ladder buddy i'm going to compel you can't immediately turn around and go oh well i've got this I've got this thing to to give me this bonus. That's usually decided ahead of time. You can't take the coin that I give you and then turn it around and give it back to me. Mm, okay, that's interesting. So uh, it's less of a just like, oops, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, because this Makes fate it so that is... there's actual stakes. There are, there are stakes. There's push and pull, right? Yeah. It's, it's less... A tug of war isn't fun to watch if both sides are equally matched. Mm-hmm. Even if they are, you have moments where that rope swings one way or the other, and you start being like, "Oh, is it working? Oh, oh no, they're winning! Oh no, we're winning!" And like, give it that back and full, but give it that back and forth because that's what makes it exciting. That's what gives it tension. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, then I believe yeah, that's consequences, um, and like that's <laughs> that's the other like, this entire game is so based around like, again, as the player, what are you comfortable? with happening to you and there is mm-hmm. because you are all coming up with these ideas for consequences some of the best consequences have come from other players absolutely because as the gm you're juggling all these things and you're like all right cool you get a 
you know, you, you sprained your ankle and then somebody's like, what if he got his, like, we talked about how this place is rat infested. Oh, it's a minor inconvenience. He stepped in a rat trap and it like crunched his foot and like, he's Mm -hmm. got a mouse trap on his foot. And that's so much more visually and narratively evocative than, oh, I sprained my ankle. Cause now he's, it, it also adds room for comedy. It adds that little (laughs) piece of flair that you've all built this story towards and Mm -hmm. everybody's on the same page with it everybody can feed into it off of each other and really help elevate it together because it's not it's not you against the gm it is absolutely cooperative in a way that very very few games can actually land because Mm -hmm. in a lot of those the gm still has still has the rules is still sort of the arbiter and the referee and the gm does Mm -hmm. still have a bit of that final say but for a group of folks who have played together and are comfortable giving each other back and forth without being like, oh, if I say no, the GM's going to make it so much worse for me later on, mm-hmm. you can get an unparalleled level of flexibility and comfort. Absolutely. And it just like, I think it makes everyone more invested in the story as well when they can bring in their own elements. It's mm-hmm. not just the GM doing it. And so everyone's thinking of opportunities of of conflicts and troubles that could be happening and not just advantages which mm-hmm. i think is a more interesting way to play games mm-hmm. it shouldn't always be i want to win i want to win i want to win if you want to win play a board game yes <laughs> if you're if you want to create a compelling story it can't always be positive there has yes. to be conflict and there has to be things that go wrong because when you finish the story, it's going to be more satisfying that way. You had to. That's why when we watch a movie, when things go wrong and they have to overcome something, that is so much more interesting than just watching them go from point A to point B and succeed the entire mm-hmm. time and nothing happens. Yeah. So much more compelling. And there's you need you need that contrast and you need there and I I think you need that. You need those stumbling blocks, but you also need those victories. And by putting the players in a position where they are very empowered to do, they get to rule of cool. This game is baked. The rule of cool is so pivotal to this game (laughs) because you want to make each scene as cool as fucking possible. Sorry, you're going to have to bleep that one. Um, (laughs) But like, it's, you have to make those as cool as possible so that you can make it like this is. One of the best groups I've seen run this game, um, and actually where I learned about this game, is from Will Wheaton's tabletop show that he ran years ago. Um, it's on Geek and Sundry. They do a two-parter in Fate, and it is – they have, like – his audience is – his players are a little skewed toward professional, like, actual screenwriters. Um, <laughs> the screenwriter used the Fate system and used the Aspect system in writing a TV show. Because it's it's a shortcut. It's such a cheat sheet for explaining how this character operates. Uh Because you have what are the five core things about this character that I need to know. Mm -hmm. This is also great for making villains because you go, these are the five things I need to know about this villain. I don't need stunts. Stunts can come up in the game, but I can come Mm -hmm. up with what this villain. I have a good thing and a bad thing about this villain. Or about my my NPC, my BBEG. I have a high concept. I have who they are as a person, and I have a flaw for them. And that gives mm-hmm. your players something to find. It's something to bite into. It's something to dig in and explore. 
because the best villains in the game. Oh God, I love it. Because like in the game, if you can actually find out these things and use them, even better, even better. Because like. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just, no, no, like, go for it. Go for it. I've been rambling a lot. <laughs> it just always makes me so happy because I feel like in a lot of games, like you can have those aspects. You can create, you know, the flaws and 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 parts of your villain, but they might not always come up to be playable parts in the game that mm-hmm. your character that your players can actually work with. This has it so built into the system itself that it's going to get used. It's yeah, going to get you, used one way or another, whether the players figure it out or whether it gets brought in by a mechanic or whatever reason, it's going to get used, which means that all the work and effort that you are taking to prep and create mm-hmm. these scenarios is going to get the payoff. Yeah, it's it's like and uh, my favorite example of a really, really good villain the players never meet. Have mm-hmm. you seen The Fifth Element? I have not. Okay. <laughs> I am I am cultured in a very specific thing that's with movies. To, Whatever that's my totally parents fine. were into, basically. I, I've watched I've watched far too many good and terrible movies. Um, Fifth <laughs> Element is a phenomenal sci-fi movie um, mm-hmm. with Bruce Willis and Chris Rock and Gary Oldman are really the big three. Um, Bruce Willis is sort of the the protagonist. Um, mm-hmm. The, the reluctant protagonist who ends up rescuing um, this girl, Lilu. Go watch it. It's I can't fucking explain it here. Sorry again. Um, <laughs> the, um, the villain, Gary Oldman's character, runs basically... He's kind of evil space Bezos. Um, mm-hmm. He never meets the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Those two characters never meet. But he is one of the he is such a good villain because of how we see him interacting with all of the people around him. Mm-hmm. And even though like we understand that as an audience member, we understand how this operate, how the, why he's so compelling and why he's such a good villain. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Willis's character will never see that, but we can see how they operate across purposes. We can see how the two of them are similar and different from each other. Because we have that understanding. And as a GM, if I have a trouble, if I have these aspects of this character, I can see what my players are doing. And I, I, and this is just me as a GM, really just loving the sandpit that I found myself in. I can <laughs> see how these things come across purposes. And I go, oh, well, my, my villain happens to hang it. This, his trouble is like he, Maybe he wasn't hugged enough as a child or something like that, but like has <laughs> he has a soft spot for kids, and maybe mm-hmm. that's something he and Vanessa have in common, mm-hmm. and that's something that really humanizes your villain and pulls them from this Skeletor Saturday morning cartoon bad guy into mm-hmm. something much more believable, and it mm-hmm. makes it so much easier to like you can have those five aspects written on an index card for any game you have. And when someone's mm-hmm. like talking to the villain, you're like, well, here, here are the five core things about his character that I need to know to RP this character quickly and effectively. Mm-hmm. And it's such, a, it's such a good cheat sheet for NPCs. NPCs, you might have one skill they're really good at, um, a, a high concept of trouble, and maybe one aspect or stunt. That's all you mm-hmm. need. And you're like, cool, this is who this person is. Great. If anything else pops up, I'll write it on the card later, and we'll just, we'll just go from there. <laughs> um, 
I honestly even like like listening to this and and hearing it get talked out because obviously it's one thing to read it read like the actual rules it's one thing to actually play it and and experience it in a a different way but mm. see like hearing this get talked out i could even see this being great advice for other games that you play Correct. of creating almost like these little cards that are just here are the f- top five most imp- here's the here's five of the most important elements of this character and it mm. helps you role play them automatically i'm already thinking do i need to do this for my games would this like like immediately immediately because that can keep you on it can keep you consistent keep you Mm -hmm. on track it makes the continuity also flow a lot better if you just have this card that gives you the most important information and these are also things that like your players will ask about your players mm-hmm. will have ideas for what they mm-hmm. think the villain is. And you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, I should probably leave. Maybe there's a side of this that my player discovers as they're learning more about who, who their adversary is. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I love about fate is it is such a toolbox because there is, there are chapters about like, there's a whole, the running the game section is good for literally any, any game you're running because mm-hmm. it talks about advantages and conflicts and how to make things challenging, but rewarding. Um, it talks about failure and making how you make failure awesome, but also important. Mm-hmm. Um, Move the sword here's forward. How, let's talk about NPCs. Let's talk about plot. Let's talk about how you can build stories together in a way that clicks. And you have, you have all these components in front of you. How do you build this metaphorical watch and set mm-hmm. it running? Um, and they, it does such a good big picture narrative breakdown of that. And then if you want more, um, the other thing I uh, love about the, the gang over at Evil Hat, because um, <laughs> they did Thirsty Sword Lesbians and a couple of other really, really good games. Um, yeah, I have so many of their games on my shelf. I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. I love, yeah, <laughs> I love everything done, they have. <laughs> um, they have done multiple. I think they're actually... Oh, I do own more D and D books, but that's also source books and things. But that's fine. We're not gonna we're not gonna look too closely at that part of the shelf. They have um, toolkits, specific. Um, it's it's a mini toolbox mm-hmm. for a different aspect of the game of role playing of stuff like that. They also have like fate condensed, so if you don't want to buy the whole thing, you can get like it's a little more truncated, and you can just kind of skip into it a little quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have the three that I have is the system toolkit, the horror toolkit, and the adversary toolkit. And the adversary toolkit is, hey, do you want to make a good villain? Let's start. Let's start there. Let's figure out what who is your villain. Why? Why mm-hmm. are they a villain? What are they doing? Um, God, I love Evil Hat. <laughs> why? Why are they doing what they're doing? Um, who? Who are the number of bad guys? Let's talk about what kind of stuff. And it goes everything from a like spy movie heist to post-apocalyptic to um you know like a um like a pulpy indiana jones style and it's like here's how you can use the toolkit and tweak it and shift it in a way that makes sense for whatever game you're trying to run Mm -hmm. and also gives you examples of like do you want to play this indiana jones pulp style fiction game here are the kind of traps that might be really interesting what kind of like all the movie 
all the movies that you've seen, and you're like, I want to do that movie. Fate can go, yeah, we can make that happen. Um, <laughs> and the horror oh toolkit, the horror toolkit is honestly one of my favorites because it talks through, um, it talks through so much of what horror, of how to make things scary. And this is the book, like, as we rambled on to 10 Candles about, the trick with horror is making players feel helpless. And how do you, like, these people are empowered, and in a game where the players get to do all kinds of cool shit, how do you make them feel afraid? How do you mm-hmm. make it, like, it's the Call of Cthulhu problem. I've got a fight skill, I'm gonna go punch Cthulhu. No, you're not. You're not gonna get within 100 <laughs> yards of that thing before it just, like, sends you're going you off. To you're just gonna pop and i'm sorry that's it um how do how do you balance horror how do you like there's a little bit about horror compels um how do you how do you offer safe places how do you make how do you make an aspect that's invoked both a good thing and a bad thing because all of your Mm -hmm. aspects should do both they should always Mm -hmm. sort of be that double-edged sword how do you make that work in horror how do you make that work in this powerful and powerless scenario and it 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 just has one of the most eloquent breakdowns of how the horror genre works and how to safely do it in a role-playing game i love 10 candles 10 candles has 10 candles has a large it assumes a decent chunk of the learning curve. Like you've played a role playing mm-hmm. game before and you want to do mm-hmm. 10 candles. Here's how it's a little different. Fate mm-hmm. is you've never touched a role playing game before in your life. Let's <laughs> start here. But I, uh, it, this is just, a, I mean, tad a bit, uh, Oh my gosh, tad bit off topic, but that's actually a big reason why I like reading a lot of these RPG books is watching them break down what a role-playing game is, mm-hmm. what the mechanics do mm-hmm. and are and how to use them, like breaking it down in such a like mechanical, honestly, like mechanical, this is how it's used. This is what it does. This is what you do, blah, blah, blah. I find that now as I'm watching like movies and shows after I've been reading all these books, I am picking up ways that that is – um, used as a mechanic. Like, I was watching... This might sound ridiculous. I was watching the Lego movie the other day. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. Go on. <laughs> yeah, I was watching the Lego movie the other day, and um, I recently, like, talked about uh, Blades in the Dark, and I was watching mm-hmm. it, and they were doing the whole mo- moment before they, like, fought uh, the... I don't remember what his name is, but the, the bad guy in, in the movie. business. <laughs> yeah, where they're essentially doing a whole, like, spy sequence of showing... Mm-hmm. Like, where it's, like, you know, a little bit of, like, f- here's here's what prompted up to this, and then h- here's how it played out and stuff like that. And, like, it clicked in my head. That's how Blades in the Dark does it with flashbacks yep. and, you know, not yep. planning before you do it, showing the action, all of that. Like, I was blown away because I read the book and I was at least for me seeing it like explained to me in the specific manner and then seeing it uh in a movie mm-hmm. made so much more sense than going mm-hmm. here's the movie then here's how I can turn it into a mechanic or anything. It right. helps me actually experience movies and recognize tropes in a much better way that I think is helping the way that I am approaching stories mm-hmm. and characters and even how to set up these types of scenarios because mm-hmm. I'm now able to pick them out better. I'm able to yes. say, oh, I, I understand what's going on here. I understand what's making this interesting. I understand how this is 
you know, complicating the story and how they're solving this problem and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And a, a perfect example is like, okay, what is, um, we'll, we'll stick with the Lego movie thing. They're trying to sneak <laughs> in and they're, they're like, okay, there are multiple steps of this plan that need to happen. We need, mm-hmm. um, unmet, we need Bruce Wayne, um, and, uh, <laughs> Unikitty. They go in and distract the board so that way mm-hmm. and distract people so that we, we can get in, we can deactivate the lasers and turn off the shields. And where does each, where does the tension kind of go? Why are we mm-hmm. cutting away to, um, why are we cutting away to Unikitty, um, and, and, and Bruce Wayne talking about this? Like, okay, he's got their attention. We see this for a couple of seconds. Great. He's mm-hmm. still distracted. That part of the plan is working. Oh no. Um, Metal Beard and I can't remember the astronaut's name that's played by Charlie Day. Um, oh, I don't. Mr. Spaceship himself. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> trying Space to disable. Man. Yeah, he's trying to disable the shields. And you're like, oh, no, it's not working. It's not accepting their their inputs. Mm-hmm. There's there's a piece of tension and everyone's hinging on that part of the plan. And mm-hmm. then the plan works. Either it they finally pass whatever skill check or whatever it is they're trying to do, or something ridiculous happens and Metalbeard comes in with his like a pirate accent and the computer's like, Yeah, I got you, and shuts everything down. <laughs> and then the next part of the plan can work. And finding the points where that tension that's my favorite thing watching really, really good storytellers. And especially for Blades in the Dark, I will always say watch heist movies. Ocean's mm-hmm. Eleven and Thirteen. We don't really talk about twelve. Um <laughs> Ocean's Eleven and Thirteen are so good at that because it is that like, oh, it worked. How did it work? Well, let's do a flashback. Let's go back mm-hmm. and talk and see all of these things scattered through the movie that when you have that proper context, you're like, oh, that's brilliant. That's why that that's why there's so much attention paid to this one thing. It's a mm-hmm. little harder with blades because your PC is doing the flashback. Mm-hmm. But you can still set up those moments of like, oh my God, are they gonna make it? The player's like, we're gonna make it because I planned for this. Flashback. And yeah. Then go forward again. Exactly. <laughs> um, and like good there's a there's an old saying um that's probably not that old, but I'm saying that it is good artists borrow great artists steal mm-hmm. take find things that you're like that's super cool i love that and this is when look at it take the thing and go why do i like this why do i mm-hmm. like this sequence of things what does it do understand and how can like i it. under yes if you just take a character and shove it into your game that character is going to like be a stick out like a sore thumb it's just going to mm-hmm. hang out and they're going to be like why is this person here Mm-hmm. Um, if you took like, yeah, you took metal beard and shoved him into, or you took, um, you took the astronaut and shoved him into your D and D game. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense, mm-hmm. but why do we like that character? What is it about that character that we like? What are his aspects? Mm-hmm. He loves his job. <laughs> like his high concept. He's an astronaut. He's, he drives a spaceship. That's his, that's mm-hmm. him. If you, mm-hmm. um, if, that's all he does. His trouble Everything's a spaceship. That's all he wants to do. He just wants to do his job. And then you can delve into the rest of his aspects. But then you could take those aspects and just go, okay, this is the core of this character. How do I make this fit in Blades in the Dark? How do I make this mm-hmm. fit in this other game? And still get the vibe of that character? And the players that know will be like, hold on, is this is this the spaceship <laughs> guy from the Lego movie? And you just give him a coy wink and keep going and never yeah. tell them. They'll have their guesses. You never tell them. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I, it's just so it's so useful being able to break down media. Yes. So incredibly useful. Absolutely. If you are playing RPGs, breaking down media and breaking down characters is a insanely important skill to learn and get even better at um, you know, playing these types of games. Yeah. Um <laughs> going back onto topic. Uh, Sorry. Back, <laughs> no, you back are, to the role that, play game. <laughs> honestly, that but that entire thing, I think it shows even more it shows how much value fate does have though mm. with how much it breaks down the characters in the world and everything into these aspects. Aspects are pretty much everything. I mean, yeah, and about 90% of everything. <laughs> the, the, and that honestly, is just simply breaking it down. You could you could play this game diceless. You really could. You it would take you'd have to finagle it a little bit and figure mm-hmm. out like you have your core skills, you have your core competencies and then you're like you'll because because the ladder the shifts the shifts that they have you you have your action you have your bonuses and you kind of figure out where you land in that spectrum mm-hmm. of success and failure and success with a little bit of failure or the colossal failure can all be determined by your skills because the lowest value you ever have in a skill is zero and mm-hmm. if you go into a zero skill situation against another zero skill you'll succeed at a small cost Mm-hmm. And then once you start being like, oh, I'm too better than this guy. All right, well, you succeed with no <laughs> – there's no downside. I am mm-hmm. I am too better at fight than this man. Great. I'm too Done. better Easy. at fight. <laughs> I, am, I am three better at gun. Like at some point you're going to sound like you don't understand how nouns work. Mm-hmm. But that's fine because you're able to just like you're, – you're storyboarding more than playing mm-hmm. a game. And you're like, oh, this would be really interesting if this happens. This would be really interesting if this happens. And so how like do just, you? And it, it is like an improv scene, honestly. It's it is such a good like y- yes and no, but where's the twist? Where can I add something that narratively fits? And it's a mm-hmm. loose enough game that someone could be like, I like it. What about X? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it and then advance and, forward. It, yes. Okay. I tried to open the door and I failed, but I want I want to succeed at a great risk. Cool. The door opens not because you like hacked the panel, but because there's a giant robot on the other side who's about to walk down the hallway and he spots you. <laughs> Oops. Something <laughs> happened. Now what do we do? Mm-hmm. And, and it's just knowing. Oh, it's, I just love it. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. No. No. 100%. And that's like breaking. This is one of the best games for, again, Professional writers have used this for making TV shows because mm-hmm. if you have that creative mind, you can think on your feet um, or even even if you can't if you just want to do this kind of by yourself and help break down the fiction and the narrative you're writing. This is a really good way to help you understand stories in any way, shape or form because the story is so open. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually two other books on my shelf. Uh, one is called Save the Cat, which is more about script writing than anything else. But like, okay, there's always that moment of like, there's that, it's, it's called Save the Cat because it's that Save the Cat moment of like, this person is a hero because Superman like flew up and got the cat for the little old lady. They literally do it in the first 10 minutes of The Incredibles. Like, they have a literal Save the Cat moment. And, um, and it talks a little bit about like, okay, we know who the good guy is. How do we like 
let's look at whatever creative writing you've done, your, this creative thing, and let's find places where we can tweak it and fix it and, and trim it down a little bit so you're mm-hmm. not just going on for pages and pages and pages. That one is less – and a lot of – that's a great place to start looking for advice for storytelling just in general is script writing books because they tell you, cool, what's important and how do we, how do we show without telling? Mm-hmm. And aspects are kind of telling, but it is a visual reminder of a, of a thing in the scene and how the game works. And it's, it's a great reminder for, again, for your PCs, your NPCs, your villains. Yourself. How do I, <laughs> how do I show this thing? How do I show that this play, how do I show that this villain is compassionate towards, towards the needy? While also him being a stone cold bastard and willing to burn down an entire city block mm-hmm. as long as it's in the rich district. How do I show that mm-hmm. um, without necessarily making them seem weak? How do I add in those depths and those things? Um, and the other one is honestly, it's called Hamlet's Hit Points. And it is a like narrative. I'm a theater guy. You say Shakespeare. <laughs> I'm at least going to pay attention for the first act and a half before I take a nap. Uh, but you, it's, it's called Hamlet's hit points and it does a very good narrative breakdown of the, the typical story arc of like introduction, rising action, climax, falling action, or multiple climaxes or things like that. But it takes the story Mm -hmm. of Hamlet and lays it all out in this really easy to parse like story and how each scene has its own mini dramatic dramatic moments that build into the larger whole. And it's mm-hmm. such a good, useful tool for any long-running campaign or even a short form, like a, like a con game or a one-shot. How do I make it interesting the whole way through from a GM perspective? And what are each of these moments? What are the moments that make this thing interesting? Is it a subversion of what was expected where we... um what like what what makes this moment exciting are we expecting trouble and nothing shows up are we expecting no trouble or do we as the players do we as the readers the writers the narrators whatever know there's drama in the room um polonius standing behind the curtain and we're like uh-oh mm-hmm. hamlet's in here talking shit what's gonna happen mm-hmm. spoilers polonius dies um <laughs> but you you it helps again breaking down the narrative and understanding where where conflict is and how mm-hmm. conflict builds tension and how you can make these things work for you because we all consume media we mm-hmm. all understand stories we all love stories that's why we play role playing games because we mm-hmm. want to tell stories or mm-hmm. hit things with a sword which is its own kind of story but we we all recognize these things and if you as a GM can start plucking at those strings, your players will either see where you're going and add to it, or they will completely surprise you and you'll be able to pivot with it because you, mm-hmm. you, you're not just like, I'm pushing the one button that says scary over and over again. And then somebody makes a funny joke. And instead of being like, no, this is a scary game, pun- keep pushing the scary button, you take the funny. And you incorporate the funny and you, you push the funny button a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then when you go and sort of like what you were talking about, where you need that conflict, you need that struggle. You need, you need the music as well as the silence. And then you just hit mm-hmm. the button again. And the next time you push the scary button, it is way worse. 
Because you weren't prepared. <laughs> because because you were like, oh, haha, here's this funny joke bit that suddenly either like there's a hard cut. Um, <laughs> that's um, what's the scene in Deep Blue Sea? Uh, I'm keep naming like 80s and 90s movies that I have no idea if you've seen them. <laughs> Um, I, I honestly, I, I, I would love for just like a full list of movie recommendations from you oh, God, because like, so I am loving every, like I'm writing down during this, like all the books and the things that uh, you're referencing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because, because I'm, I'm a child of like TMZ and FX and Spike, uh, Deep Blue Sea is a movie where they basically make super intelligent sharks. It mm-hmm. is a solid B movie cult classic. Um, it's kind of a horror movie. I think I think it's LL Cool J's in that movie. I think he's a cook. Um, <laughs> hold on. I, I uh, Deep Blue Sea. Oh, there was a series. Good grief. Yeah, 1999. Um, oh, Stella Skarsgård's in it. What's... Anyway, that's not the point of the story. Um, <laughs> but Samuel L. Jackson is this diver character, and he's like, no, we're going to go out there you know he survived this diving this boating accident and he like was surrounded by sharks it's kind of a parallel to the moment in jaws where they're talking about the Mm -hmm. uss indianapolis and Mm -hmm. he's standing in this underwater base and he's standing in front of the moon pool which is basically where submersibles can come up and come into the base because the air pressure keeps the water from flowing in and he's standing there and he's like we're gonna go out there and we're gonna kill every single one of these and this shark just comes up out of the moon pool and eats him and goes back into the water and it's that it's like okay here's the moment where like it's a it's kind of like the predator moment where they're like we're gonna if it bleeds it dies we're gonna go out there and kill it and then this thing just eats him and it is either the funny it's like the shock of it is immediately funny and then way more terrifying because you're like, oh, that was the guy who knew what he was doing and he's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that's perfect. It's absolutely it's, great example. Yes. It's what is what does that moment do for the story? What does that moment do for the characters? And why does it why is that moment worth that time? And the mm-hmm. downside of watching movies is not especially newer ones, not a lot of movies do it well yeah um literally i've been talking about this with a friend very recently is just kind of the new movies not bringing anything interesting or new to stories that even because you can have a story that's where tropes come in where it's like there's tropes that are commonly used but if a if a movie and a story does something interesting with that trope it's going to be interesting to watch Mm -hmm. because they do something new to it it's going to be interesting because you've never seen it before but if you just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again it's going to become boring and repetitive and yeah not engaging Um and that's and that's um i was about to name another late 90s movie that you probably haven't seen the doom movie with uh with Dwayne Johnson in it uh they took the video game doom and put put Dwayne Johnson in it as and you're like oh he's the space marine um and he you realize he's not the protagonist mm-hmm. like halfway through the movie and you're like oh he's Oh, this is bad. Who's the who's the good guy? Who am I supposed to root for? And it's Carl Urban's character. But you don't realize that because and like and then you have that trope. Everyone's looking in that direction. 
Mm-hmm. And then you can subvert the expectation and it look and it's so good if you execute it properly. Mm-hmm. The trick there, and something that I have screwed up number of times, <laughs> is if you're putting in a twist, you need to set it up. And you, if you're going to subvert expectations, if you're going to subvert a trope, you need to pay it off. You can't just be like, oh, it's not really that. Okay, move on. Like, you need to... It needs to be significant because if you could cut that out and leave the trope as is, you're not subverting anything. You're not making mm-hmm. a drastic sweeping change. Um, you're just saying, oh, it's not what you thought it was. Okay, bye. And that's sort of like the end <laughs> of the conversation. And having the, – the tropes are a super good jumping off point and finding one that is a the, – the, the trope is just a common language. It's this common thing that everybody bites into and you can go, great, this guy's got a sword, this guy's got a robe, this guy's got like a deep hood and a bunch of daggers. And people will go, great, wizard, fighter, rogue, awesome. Mm-hmm. We understand this, this parlance and context. We can go. And finding – you need to understand the tropes and understand what they do narratively to then take it and subvert it in a way that's like and make it make it interesting for you and the people you're playing with because the nice thing about role-playing games you're not marketing it to mass media you're not going to record this thing and publish it and put it on the internet and run for (laughs) eight years and have an amazon tv series and whatever (laughs) sorry it was that that was my out loud voice wasn't it (laughs) but for the vast majority of us our dnd our role-playing game stories are not for anybody but the people we're playing with. Mm-hmm. So if you find it interesting and your players are on the same page or at least interested in that same sort of thing, you can do if you think a tr- if you think the twist is interesting and you think you can pay it off in a way that matter in a in a way that is significant and if you just cut out the twist, nothing changed, you need a better twist. Mm-hmm. Like my my favorite game that I play with a friend of mine, and we can get back to fate because I realize this has turned into a like media consumption class. <laughs> well, honestly, again, I I think these are important elements with talking about RPGs in general. Is the talk of storytelling, especially with a game like Fate, where it's so heavily dependent on understanding tropes and storytelling mm-hmm. and how to use those aspects. Mm-hmm. It is insanely valuable to hear those things. Like I said, it's. It's valuable to hear it being talked about or, or, or like an example of it in play because that puts your brain in a completely different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's like my favorite game I love playing with a friend of mine is watching a movie and going, did I need this scene? Mm-hmm. What did this scene, what did this scene accomplish for the movie? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you're like, did this do anything for me? Was this just a comedic bit? Did, did nothing for the plot? Great. Cut it out. Let's move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, gr- and um, you can do so much of that. But also, you can also see where cutting out a scene tells a completely different, like, changes the story in a significant way. There are cuts of the first three Star Wars movies. Uh, and by first three, <laughs> I mean episode one, two, and three. Um, the the prequel trilogy that you take all nine plus hours of that movie and you cut out a lot of the bullshit 
<laughs> and you are left with this four and a half, four, four and a half hour long, long ass movie about Anakin Skywalker and his journey. Mm-hmm. And it cuts out a lot of like the politics stuff and a lot of the stuff about the separatists and all of the larger war story to focus in on Anakin and the people in his orbit because that's what the prequel trilogy is honestly there to do. It is to tee up yes there's a big global conflict or intergalactic conflict. Yes there's all of this, <laughs> but that's not what we care about in this version of the story. We care about Anakin and his <laughs> growth and his rise and his fall. And it changes the way if you watch those movies and then go watch the original trilogy, it changes your perspective on Vader mm-hmm. in a much more profound way than just watching all six movies in a row mm-hmm. because it is so focused on this is the person whose journey this is and these are the journeys of the people around him and why, yes, their journeys ma- – and there are scenes that don't involve Anakin, mm-hmm. but that's because they are important to the characters that are around him. Mm-hmm. And how does that shift our understanding of those characters from our perspective, from the character's own perspective, and from Anakin's perspective? And what does that do in the sort of condensed but a, like stretched out like taffy into just this long one thread? <laughs> We're not jumping across the galaxy. We're not watching CGI clone troopers shoot CGI droids. <laughs> We're watching Anakin grow up, fall in love realize that he will do anything to protect it make really really poor choices <laughs> and fall in a way that not like honestly anakin's story makes a really really good fallen paladin story in a D, like in a fantasy setting like it's so it's so good and most of the time your players will guess unless you tweak the right details without losing the core thread of that absolutely um, and that's where and that's where you start stealing things because <laughs> as one should unless you're Plagiarism. a professional right like yeah no a hundred percent file off the serial numbers and be like here you go <laughs> and nine times out of ten people won't notice and the people that do you don't you don't let them know that they're on to you <laughs> <laughs> just just avoid all the questions and just, just continue playing just no, just no. just smile and roll a couple of dice and go anyway Anyway. Where was I? <laughs> yeah. Um, sweat. <laughs> but yes, um, I think we're getting to the end of the episode, though. Mm. And again, absolutely just the discussion on storytelling. I love when you come on and, and talk about it because it just blows my mind and I start thinking about all kinds of stuff. I, um, I am chock full of 80s and 90s movie references. I am chock full of really good and really bad stories. And I've screwed up more role-playing games than I would care to admit. So I am always happy to come on and talk about my talk about the things that I have taken and used well and taken and used poorly. Absolutely. So. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the last kind of bit, if, uh, if this can be kind of shorter, I would yes. love <laughs> if you would talk about maybe like three pieces of advice that you would have to any GM that is wanting to approach the fate core system and run it for a group of players. Set boundaries. Mm -hmm. Number one, set boundaries, find spatial 
like, hey, this takes place in a small town. This takes place, like, when you're talking about the world in the game, set a couple of boundaries, not related, like, always set session zero personal player boundaries. Set boundaries in the world, in the sandbox you're about to play in. Because there is a lot of information in Fate, and it is a lot to chew through. And if Mm -hmm. you say you can do whatever you want, your players will come back with some wild things. Mm -hmm. Set boundaries, and part of that comes with the, the idea for the world. Right. Are we doing, are we globe hopping? Are we doing like the Justice League and we're just going to hang out in Metropolis? Are we doing Young Justice and we're going to hang out in Metropolis? Or do we Mm -hmm. get, how big is the sandpit we get to play in? Figure that out and it will save you a lot of heartache and headache trying to make these things fit together. Yeah, Um, this is really hitting home personally with a campaign, like my first campaign. I've only been actually GMing for like, a little over a year now in my first campaign i have struggled with this exact thing mm-hmm. please set the boundaries please it's... talk about what how big of a story you want talk about what is the goal yeah and and that is that is a discussion about like <laughs> and that boundary is like we are playing like that this is the world so that's partly setting the scope that's also partly setting like the the player expectation of what's going to happen Number two is like be be flexible, be mm-hmm. willing to turn. Don't be so like locked in with any of this. The whole point of this is everything is very flexible. Everything is moving. All of your players are going to be throwing out ideas. Being flexible, but also staying within those boundaries, mm-hmm. um, because there the dice are not an arbiter of whether or not something happens most of the time you can like you can fudge that a little bit and cause failures to be positive mm-hmm. but you don't get to say this is how it's going to happen like D sometimes you'll have like this is a cutscene thing where like you've all been imprisoned and you're carried from one cell to the other and there's <laughs> always a player who's like i want to try and break free and you have to be like yeah you try to break free the guard sees you punch you in the back of the head knock it off you guys need to get to the prison cell for the game to start mm-hmm. you will not have moments like that during fate Fate is far too collaborative, and you all need to be willing to bend with each other to really help support and grow this thing. And I think Again, the last perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um and the last the last piece of advice for playing fate. Um it is not just about you. There you go. Yeah. I think that is that is a and again, whole look, that's an aspect of this game. It's not just about you. Like it's mm-hmm. How do I, you're not saying this is the law. You're saying this is part of it. This is mm-hmm. the face of the rule that you have just bumped up against. Gravity is, gravity is an aspect. You can use it to your advantage. It can be used against you, but it is part of this thing that you've made. Mm-hmm. And finding the, it, yeah, it's not just about you. It's more about keeping the players rolling everything is cooperative everything builds off of everything else and as long as you stay within the boundaries that you've made and also you you can say no no is more important than yes knowing and that's where the boundaries help because you go no like someone's like i pull out a laser pistol be like where'd you get a laser pistol like why do you have that no one has brought up a laser pistol put it away and <laughs> you you're not anyway. yeah you're not arbitrating the game you are running a writer's room 
mm-hmm. and just letting the ideas flow and percolate and go. And every once in a while, you step in and snip a couple of things, and you add complications. And you want, and other players, something we kind of talked about, other players can compel too, and push each other's buttons, and like let each other play. And res- it's not just about you, but it is all about respect. Yes. Absolutely. And if you, yes, I think I'm going to keep <laughs> rambling while I keep adding things to that sentence. Um, honestly, yeah, just respect everybody. Everyone at the table gets equal respect. That's, mm-hmm. That is my third piece of advice for the fourth time. <laughs> Absolutely. Everyone gets equal respect and all of you are just playing a game. You're all playing a game together. You're all, even the GM is a player just with a different role in the game. Just a different all have set fun. Of- different set of tools exactly but i think that is honestly a great way to end this episode like yes yes. fate (laughs) fate is a sandbox it is a sandbox that goes on for infinity and it is just up to you when you sit down and say you want to play this game figuring out where you want your sandbox to take place within this much larger (laughs) one that you are basically working with and every every game of fate will teach you something different about mm-hmm. yourself, about your players, about how you run, about stories in general. Every game of fate will teach you something different. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And I just want to say thank you so much, Curtis, for coming on again. This was fantastic. Yeah, thank you for having me back on. We did break the two-hour mark, and I was like, no, I'm going to stay under it. But we got we – got- <laughs> snuck past just, me again. just a little over too many too many movie references i knew i made a mistake <laughs> uh, but no thank you so uh, much for having me on again it's been an absolute blast uh i'm so glad and thank you uh everyone who uh is has listened to this episode it means a whole lot and yeah uh that is the end And that is the end of the episode. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I really hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, It was super fun to record, and yeah. Uh, If you did like this episode, I would really appreciate it if you decided to uh, follow the RPG Goblin on your preferred podcast platform and give us a review. Um, Any little bit of support counts and is always appreciated. Thank you so much again to Curtis for coming on and talking about Fate with me. It was such a great experience, and I'm so ready to play Fate. The next episode of the RPG Goblin is going to be coming out uh, Friday, April 7th. And it's going to be about a indie RPG called Definitely Wizards. And, oh, I am so excited to share this game with you. So, uh, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Huge thank you to all of the Patreon supporters and Kyle Adderson for being our $20 patron who gets their name shouted out at the end. Thank you!